0: Well, it's a pleasure and an honor to be able to share the Word of God with you folks this morning. I trust that God's blessing will be upon His Word. Um, this morning, I would like to spend some time in the book of Philippians, chapter 3 in particular. And uh, the letter to Paul is an easy read, and it's just four short chapters, but it's very encouraging. I gotta push this button. There we go. And I'm gonna give you some homework at the beginning, because uh, normally you're given homework at the end of something, right? But this morning, the homework I'm gonna give you right now. And your homework for this week is to read the entire book of Philippians once a day. Four chapters. It's four chapters. It'll take you about 15 minutes. Okay? Uh, you can read it in the morning. You maybe you can read it at lunchtime or uh, in the evening before you go to bed, but read the entire book of Philippians once per day. And I guarantee you that you will profit from it greatly. It's a, it's a very encouraging book and um, as I said before, but it can be very challenging as well. And that is, if you read it, with a listening ear, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you. So will you engage in that exercise this week? Read the book of Philippians, four chapters, once a day, for the next six or seven days. or Maybe you might want to keep going on after that, I don't know. But one of the most prominent themes in the book is uh, rejoicing in Christ in the midst of everyday life. And the word rejoice appears in every chapter, four chapters. Four chapters, every chapter, and the word joy appears very often. And this is the book that also contains, in chapter two, this uh, great uh, display of the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the the book itself is uh, one that elevates and uh, the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, I would highly uh, encourage you to do th- do that take your homework, be serious about it, and do it. You know? There won't be a test next week. Uh, I won't ask you if you read it. You know? But if you did and you want to come back and tell me, it's been great, that'd be awesome also. The book of Philippians is also home to some of the most cherished and memorized passages of Scripture. Passages like chapter 1, verse 6, which says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Or chapter one, verse 21. Some of you might have this verse in your memory bank. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's probably one of the high points of the book when Paul expresses that sentiment. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. And in chapter two, verse 13, For it is God who works in you both to do and to will of his good pleasure. Some of you have that verse memorized. And then in chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. All of those beautiful verses that some of you have uh, tucked away in your minds are contained in this book. And also, you'll find, as you read through the uh, four chapters, you'll find... Uh, that Paul expresses a heartfelt desire and love for the brothers and the sisters in Philippi. And this will come out over and over again with words and phrases that he uses. And our passage this morning is a very positive and very encouraging passage of Scripture. And it is my desire that you be edified and that the Lord be magnified in our time this morning. Now, a little context, we know that the book was written by Paul, that's clearly obvious from years of study and people uh, informing of that, and you can see it in his words, but um, you may not be aware that uh, he was a prisoner at the time when he wrote this book, and you can you can surmise that in chapter one, this phrase, this this phrase, my bonds, reoccurs four times in that chapter alone, or my shackles, you know, so it's... From those phrases and one other place at the end of the book in chapter 4 where he references the house of Caesar, that is how we discern that he was in prison at the time that he wrote this book. And we need to remember that prison was nothing like prison today, right? Uh, It didn't have uh, cable TV. Uh, It was dark and it was damp. There was no Internet service, and there was no reading materials except that somebody may have brought that individual. And there may not have been food supplied except that which was given by family and friends who had came. And the rats were probably the only daily visitors that prisoners had, so it was a much different place. And it was meant to be a place of suffering. It wasn't meant to be a country club like some of the prisons that some of the criminals are in today it was meant to be a place of suffering and by today's standards i'm sure the prisons that paul was in were probably would probably be considered cruel and unusual punishment you know to have to endure and live through these kinds of things well we know paul was no stranger to hardship it was a part of his life when you read this passage of second corinthians chapter 11 you get all of these things that he endured for Christ. He was beaten, he was flogged, he was shipwrecked. His life was a difficult life. And we remember that it was at Philippi that Paul was put in jail for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And do you remember what happened? The earth shook, the bars flung open, and the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? And the Philippian jailer, Ended up getting converted, he and his family. And so it was in this context of having experienced these things with with these surroundings that the Apostle Paul wrote the letter that we call the letter to Philippians. And the contrast couldn't be more stark. So this morning I want to draw our attention to um, chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 16. This is where we'll be, uh, this will be our home. And, uh, we can further divide these verses. I think there's nine verses. We can divide them into groups, and sometimes this helps us in taking smaller bites of scripture. So, uh, verses seven through eleven, we're gonna be looking at those as one group. And oftentimes, for me at least, it's helpful if I give a portion or a passage a little subheading, you know? And so each one of these three portions of scripture from the third chapter of Philippians, I'm going to give a small heading to help us kind of remember what is the main focus of those verses. And so verses 7 through 11 um, is one section, and we're going to call that section Desire. Okay, And then verses 12 through 14, that's our second section, and uh, we're going to call this section Pressing On or Press On. And then lastly, the last two verses of our section, or of our passage this morning, are verses 15 and 16, and we're going to call those walking on, walking on. So I'm going to read, you can follow along in your pew Bible or whatever Bible you have with you, chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 7 through 11, and then uh, we'll we'll make some comments and see some things in these verses. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that righteousness but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So in verses 7 and 8, we see that Paul uses the word gain and loss. Gain and loss. And to understand what he thought was gain, we need, or what was added to him, we need to go back to a couple of previous verses which we read at the Scripture reading, verses 4 through 6, where he talks about what was gained to him. And things such as a Hebrew of Hebrews, the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee, blameless, all of these things. And this is where we see what he thought that he was gaining. He calls it confidence in the flesh in verse, I think it's verse 4. Confidence in the flesh. You might call this his pedigree or uh, one of the things he he speaks of is his profession and then he speaks of his character. These are the things that he thought were gained to him right? And this is not too dissimilar to much people, many people today. They think that they are somebody because of their accomplishments. Uh, They are somebody because they manage $6 billion in funds of people's money, you know? They're, They're called hedge fund people. They manage, and so they have this mindset that they are above the rest, or they have accomplished something of some great deal, you know? And I'm sure in Paul's case... He may have thought that uh, these things were enabled him to gain God's approval. He, uh, he may have thought that he was a pretty good person, that uh, based on these things that he accomplished and how he persecuted the church, he was a good person in the eyes of God. And uh, many of us, again, have said the same thing at some point in time. I remember me, I remember myself thinking that God and I were like this, you know, because I never really did any major thing wrong. I didn't kill anybody, and I tried not to take the Lord's va- name in vain. This is prior to my salvation. I thought I was a good person. I cussed and swore like anybody else, but, you know, what was the big deal? And so when I, when, when I examined myself, I thought God and I, we were okay together, you know. Well, I was in for a big surprise as was Paul, because what was on display here was what is called self-righteousness. And the reality of it was that this thinking that Paul had, this kind of thinking, was really accomplishing the direct opposite. He thought it was going to be gain, but it was lost to him. And the same thing with you and I. If prior to our salvation we think that we are somebody, we have accomplished something, you and God are like this, that thinking is separating you from God. It's accomplishing the very opposite. And what a devious deception of the devil this is. We talked about some of this this morning. What a devious deception that is. To think that you you and God are okay when the reality of it is you couldn't be farther apart. As a matter of fact, the scriptures called me an enemy of God. At one point in time, I was an enemy of God. I didn't realize it, and I didn't know it. But that's what Scripture says, and that was the truth. And so Paul came to see what it was, all of this, what it was. It was a loss. It was all of no eternal benefit, especially especially when he compares it to what he calls the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ. The surpassing knowledge. I love that phrase. The surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ, and what that knowledge brings into our lives. He saw everything as a loss in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. He saw them as something that was keeping him from this highest pursuit, this highest pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ. And now, he'd much rather lose everything that he might gain Christ and the righteousness that is from God by faith. Verse 8. Yet indeed, or without a doubt, without a doubt I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, But that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. He finally came to that conclusion. And also in verse 8, we may know that, or or observe, that he starts to um, uh, express the first of several desires. First of all, he wants to gain Christ and his righteousness and what does it mean to gain Christ well I think that verse 10 answers that question verse 10 answers the question that what does it mean that I may gain Christ and in this verse we see uh, several desires that Paul lists and um, these desires that he expresses can be your desire they can be my desire as a matter of fact they should be your and my desire and let's go through them. Verse 10, first of all, he says that I may know him, that I may know him. The second, that I may know the power of his resurrection. And third, the fellowship of his sufferings. And fourth, to be conformed to his death. That is the desires that Paul really wants. Those are the things he's expressing. And when I read these, this verse as I was thinking about this whole topic, you know, I had mentioned before it can be very challenging. The book of Philippians can be very challenging. These desires that Paul had, I often ask myself, are those my desires, you know? But this desire that he had was a very strong. It was an intense. It was more than just a mere want for something like, you know, I think I want a cup of coffee or I want a I want a glass of water. It was more than that. It was something that he was striving after. It was something that was a motivating force in his in his uh, Christian walk. This desire, these desires, and I believe that any progress in the Christian life, begins with desire. You want it. You want it. I want to be more like Jesus, right? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, which is the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And I think this is one of the ways that we can discern or gauge our spiritual passion or our spiritual temperature is... What is our desires in our Christian life? So the first thing that Paul expresses, the desire, is to know Jesus. Now, if I were to ask you this morning, on a scale of one to five, right, with one being the least and five being the most, how would you rate your desire to know Jesus? Don't answer it out loud. How would you rate your desire to know Jesus on a, on a scale of one to five? And then what kind of knowledge is it that you possess of him? Is it a knowledge of facts? I know where he was born. I know uh, his mother and father's name, etc., cetera, et cetera. Uh, those are important things to know. Facts are important things to know. But if your knowledge of the Lord Jesus ends at a list of facts, then I think you are settling for something a little less. Perhaps your knowledge of him is more firsthand. Maybe it's more personal and more intimate. Paul said that I may know him. Do you know Jesus's likes and his dislikes? Do you spend time with him? Do you know his voice? If he were to speak with you, would you know his voice? My sheep know my voice. How well do you know him? So Paul's desire was to know Jesus. And he wasn't satisfied with a a low level of knowledge. His second desire is that he has to know the power of his resurrection. And what is the power of his resurrection? Well, I think this verse may help understand. It's taken from Romans chapter 8 verse 11, and you can turn there if you wish. I will read it for you. And I think this helps us understand the power of his resurrection. Romans 8:11 says, "But if the spirit of him that raised Jesus up from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwells in you. The power of the resurrection is the person of the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of God's Spirit working in you. And so I asked this morning, do you know this presence, God's Spirit, in your life? Do you experience this power? Are you desirous uh, on a daily basis to be filled with the Holy Spirit? We, were, uh, we had a, a Bible study Wednesday. It was several Wednesdays ago. And we, we looked at this passage of Scripture about being filled with the Holy Spirit and being desirous to being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's on a daily basis. There is a sense that it's a once-and-done thing. The Holy Spirit comes in to reside in you. He stays He'll be there for all of eternity. But there is a sense that because of our walk and, our, 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 uh, and the dirt we get on our feet from the world, that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. So do you know him? Do you know the power of his resurrection, his Holy Spirit? Do you follow his leading? Are you using your gifts that they are gifts from the Holy Spirit? And do you see, when you look back on your life, do you see a progress, you know? Do you see your love increasing for both the Lord, for both other people? Do you see your faith growing? Are you able to trust Him more? And is your hope, knowing that you have a place, God has prepared a place for you, is your, that your security is it's eternal? Is all of this growing? This is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, his third desire may be a little less sought after by Christians it's called the fellowship of his sufferings and um, I dare say none of us like to experience suffering I know I don't I kind of run from it and I like my comfortable little life I like everything to go along nice and it's like the storybook end everything works out in the end but the reality of it is that suffering is a guaranteed part of your Christian life. And I think you already know this because you have experienced it. And some of us right now are in the midst of some measure of suffering. It may be a physical suffering, it may be a, a, uh, an emotional suffering, etc. We are going to experience suffering in our. And there's a way that we are united with the suffering of Jesus Christ when we endure and go through various kinds of suffering. Paul said that all who desire to live godly lives will know suffering of one kind or another. But I think the suffering that the Christian experience differs from the suffering of the non-believer in that there's a purpose to it. Your suffering, your pain that you are enduring, the discomfort, There's a purpose in it. And, and there's a myriad of purposes. And you could have a whole sermon just on the why does God allow suffering in our lives? But there is a, there is an end goal in this. And sometimes we may not know the reason for it, but I'm going to share with you an end goal. And it's taken from Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And I'll read that for us also. He says, and if children, he's talking about us, and if we are children of God, then we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I hope we can, as we live our lives, we become less attached to this world and become more attached to God and and be heavenly minded and we see that our lives are very short I'm 57 years old. Life has never moved as quickly as it is right now. It's never. And so, if the Lord gives me another 30, I can't imagine how fast that's going to go. You know? And life is short. But it's, it's immensely uh, beneficial for us to get the mindset that this is temporary. Yes, I'm, suffer- I'm going through some anguish, some really difficult times but there's a, there's a better place. There's a glorified uh, body that waits us, you know. We're going to be glorified together with the Lord Jesus. That's part of our hope. That's part of our hope. So I trust that that's growing into you, in, in us. And also, our Lord suffered, right? We know our Lord suffered a great deal. And we know the Apostle Paul suffered. And we know that the church has suffered throughout its history, should we express expect any less? And it's the, the fourth desire is to be conformed to Jesus' death. Now, we know that Jesus' death was for sin, right? A payment once for all, not to be repeated, not necessary to be repeated. It doesn't need to be. But that's not what is in mind in, in this phrase, being conformed to his death. I think if we look at the word conformed, That may help us understand what he's saying. And so here's our Greek lesson, because every good sermon has a little bit of Greek. We throw some Greek in there, right? So I'm going to use one Greek word this morning, and it'll make my sermon qualified for having a Greek lesson in it, all right? And the word is sumorphizio. Sumorphizio. That's the Greek word. Now, I don't expect you to remember this, but I do expect you to remember this about it. The word "summorphesio" has, right in the middle of it, M-O-R-P-H, morph, right? And so to morph into something means to change into something else, like a butterfly, right? So he starts out as this ugly little worm, and then he puts on this beautiful set of wings, and he flies on and flutters around to all the beautiful flowers in the garden. He morphs into. He started out as one thing, and he's going to morph into something else. And I think when Paul says to be conformed to his death, there's such a desire for Paul to be like Jesus Christ that he wanted to be free from the old man, from that old nature, which was a hindrance. He experienced the old man just like you and I do. He struggled with sin. But he knew what awaited him after his death, and that was a resurrected body, a glorified body, a glorified body that would be combined with his resurrected spirit. And I think that if his own death would move that along, then he'd be okay with that. He said in chapter 1, to live is Christ, but to die is gain, right? He was okay with his death because he knew what awaited him. He knew what was coming. And so he was willing to be conformed the death of Jesus Christ, when Jesus was resurrected from the, from the grave, a glorified body he possessed. Now, I know that we won't experience death the same way as Jesus did on the cross, but there is a sense of a kind of death that we can experience on a daily basis. It's a death that can morph us into the likeness of Jesus Christ, and it's a morphing that takes place on the inside of you, not on the outside. And it changes the inner man. Paul described it this way, I die daily, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so there there is a sense that we're already dead. We're dead to sin, right? That's a known fact. God says it. He settled it. It's It's not going to happen again. But there is a sense that we are to die daily. And so what do we die daily to? Well, I think one of the things we die daily to is ourselves, the old man. We have to continue to reckon ourselves dead to sin. Romans chapter six verse eleven. Galatians two twenty says, "I am crucified with Christ; nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by the faith, but I." and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me that I might be conformed unto his death. Verse 11, which reads, If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is not an expression of doubt. This, he uses the word if by any means. It's really can be read so that by any means I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. And so verse 11 is the end goal of all these desires that he had just expressed, to arrive at the resurrection of the dead, that point in time when the chains of flesh, the sinful nature, the old man will be gone and never to be seen again, never to be wrestled with again, never to be seen or heard from again, And what a glorious day that will be when the flesh you won't have to contend with. The old man will be gone. And I I yearn for that day. I don't know about you folks, but I look forward to it. When I don't have to struggle anymore, Lord, with doubt. I don't have to struggle with fear, you know. I don't have to struggle with confusion. I won't have to struggle with animosity or hate or any of those sins that I do deal with, you know, free, free from all of that. That is the goal of all the desires, if by any means, so that by any means I may attain to the, right, to the resurrection of the dead. So these were Paul's desires that he expressed. Our second pas- passage here is verses 12 through 14, and uh, our little subheading is to press on. And so uh, carry on. Don't give up. There is something to be gained. There is something to be received. I'll read those verses for us, uh, verses twelve through fourteen. Not that I have already obtained all of this, that is what his desires are. I haven't attained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul realized that he hadn't arrived yet. There was still work to be done. And there's still work to be done in both your heart and mine. We are a work in progress. We are a work in progress that won't be complete until you stand before your Lord and look into his eyes. And I know that the path of life gets very weary, and the Christian life can get dreary at times. You know, I understand that because I experience it myself. And it can be very difficult to be a follower of Jesus. And some days we're at the end of our rope, just barely hanging on. But don't give up. Press on, because God, frankly, is not done with you yet. He continues to set you apart for himself. And What we've been describing is the process of sanctification. God loves you so much that he's willing to allow you to go and experience pain for the end result. Of being with him the best is yet to come there is a prize to be won and I believe that that prize is the Lord Jesus himself and I long to look upon him and to see him with my eyes that up to this point in time I've only seen him by faith and I long for his hand to be on my shoulder and to welcome me into his kingdom i long to hear him say my name do you do you long for those kinds of things do you want to be in the presence of your lord i hope so and we can get a taste of it here and now by spending time with him but to know that this is what awaits us jesus is the prize And so the last two verses of our passage this morning, verses 15 and 16, um, are a reminder to walk in the maturity that we have attained. Verse 15 says, Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that you have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. So, the previous verses that we've been discussing this morning um, are really a description of the maturing Christian life. And I look, you know, I know we're a mature. I like to think we are a maturing body of believers, and I, I believe that we. Many of us have been walking with the Lord for 10, 20 years, and you know, 50 years. And so we are a maturing body of believers. We're all maturing. If we've been with the Lord for five seconds, we we are maturing. God is in this process of bringing us along. And you can see, in verse 10 we spend some time looking at, you can almost see a progression of desires expressed in verse 10, right? It started with, that I may know him, the beginning. And where did those desires end? They end at the resurrection of the dead. So there's this progression to walk on in the Christian walk, in a Christian life. And we need to keep in mind that Paul had been with Jesus for many years, and so he's writing these these verses from a vantage point that has seen much and experienced much. But he was sure that God would reveal to his audiences where they were in the maturing process. And God will let us know where we are at in that process, if you ask him. And it's called the Christian life, right? We call it the Christian life for for a reason, right? It starts with the new birth. And it morphs into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And carries on into eternity. But throughout the process, while we were walking on this planet, We want to be striving and trusting and always wanting more of the Lord Jesus. We want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death so that we will arrive at the resurrection of the dead. And so this morning, my desire for us as a body of believers here is that we would realize that there's more to know of Jesus Christ. If you've been with the Lord 50 years, there's more. There's more to know of Him. There's more to know of Him in a personal and intimate way. There's more of His power to experience in your Christian life. And there is more to suffer for Him. And there is a prize that awaits us. And that prize is the Lord Jesus Christ. So, press on. Let's pray. Father God, there is more. There's going to be more in in heaven. There's going to be more for all of eternity. There's going to be more. And I pray, Lord, that you would instill in our hearts a desire for more, not to be content. Although Paul said that he was content in every state that he was in, his circumstances he could be content in, but he wasn't content with where he was at in his spiritual walk. He wanted more, more of you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would fill us to overflowing and that we would know the abundant life and walk by faith and not by sight and rejoice in the Lord always and all of these things. Father, you have given us a great life. You've given so much. May we in turn respond to you in like fashion. So thank you. For this passage of Scripture, we commit this all into your care. In the name of Jesus, amen.